This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. Hello, podcast friends. This week, I'm coming to you because I wanted to do a podcast that was the rally, the back to school rally. It's August 2nd for me on recording day. And I know some of you have already started back to school. I've already started to see some of the parents with their back to school post on social media with their kids holding up the sign of what grade they're going into. Teachers are returning to the classroom to get their classes ready for a mid-August or a late August start, or you've got another full month on your hands, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I want to come to you with a pep rally. I want to come to you with that rallying cry that says, let's get after it. Let's take the field. Think about in high school, when you were in high school and you would go to pep rallies and that at the end of the pep rally, you would, you know, everybody in the gym would be on their feet, jumping, ready to go. Hopefully your pep rallies were like that. That's what they're for. Or the coach would gather the team around them as they prepare to take that field for battle. And I wanted to do this podcast, like I said, as you're running back into the classroom. But the other reason I'm doing it is because just a few short weeks ago in July at Learning Ally, we had what we call our Summer Learning Week. And our Summer Learning Week, we've been doing this for years where we gather together, whether in person or virtual. This year was the first year we've been back in person in several years, gather together and we learn and we prepare and we get ready for all of the partnerships that we're going to have in the coming year. And at the very end of our in-person session, I was asked to deliver the pep rally. And what I had to share with them is just so relevant for our educators but it's not just relevant for learning ally employees and for educators. It's relevant in the life of every single individual. Sometimes we need a pep rally. Sometimes we need that rallying cry to get ready to take the field, to go out and battle. And battle not in a sense of, oh my goodness, this is going to be terrible this coming year. That battle because I'm laying my heart on the line. I'm laying every ounce of energy on the line. And as educators, I know we do that. So here's your pep rally. And what I titled this presentation for the Learning Ally employees was Sometimes I Believe Six Impossible Things Before Breakfast. Sometimes I believe six impossible things before breakfast. That actually came from the words and the desk of Lewis Carroll in Alice in Wonderland. Think about that book or that movie, whichever one you read or saw. I mean, Alice believed crazy things. She believed everything was possible. She believed in the impossible all before breakfast. Her imagination, her curiosity drove her. It led her. So when I found this quote, I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to design this presentation around classic, authentic quotes from literature. And that's what I'm going to do, is we're going to believe six possible things as we head back into the school year. We're believers. 
as educators, that is innate in us. We are believers. And I'll tell you too, best time to be a believer is before breakfast. I think everybody has their own schedules and times of day that work best for them. So when I say before breakfast, don't take me literal in the sense of, oh my goodness, if you don't do things before breakfast, then you're a massive failure. That is not what I'm saying. Some of you are night owls. I am not. And some of you believe your, your possible things in the wee hours of the night. That's fine. Doesn't matter. But what I'm saying when I mean before breakfast, I mean in your moments of quiet and calm, in your moments that are yours and yours alone, that's when you allow your brain to be freed up from the daily tasks, from the mundane, from, from the chores, from the bells, from the things that are coming next. This is my time to be a believer. I get up at 5.07 every single day. Some people look at me like I'm crazy, and that's fine if you do. Doesn't matter. But I'm going to tell you why you need to adopt a 507 strategy. First of all, it gets me up before breakfast. That's my time. I get up at 507. I leave my house by 541 to make it to work out. I get home by 712, 714, something like that, and then get ready for the day. And you know what I do on the drive? You know what I do when I walk through the quiet of the house? I believe, I believe possible things. This is when I write my books that are still in my head. This is when I prepare presentations. This is when I think about my schedule. This is when I reflect on the day before. This is when I say, oh, that wasn't good yesterday. How can I correct today? What can I do to course correct? This is where I believe. So whatever time of day it is that is yours, make it yours. Covet that time. Protect that time. I do. I protect that time and I get up at 5.07 because I am willing to do things people are not willing to do. Remember, the top of the mountain is not crowded. It's the bottom of the mountain that is crowded. I do things that people aren't willing to do. Most people aren't willing to get up at 5.07. Do things people aren't willing to do. It sets you apart as a leader. This podcast is about literacy leadership. So when we're thinking about believing, there's so much science around this aspect of believing. So many things we need to consider and think about when it comes to believing, and we're going to be covering six of those today and using literature to guide us. The first quote from literature that I want to share with you, because of the state of education today. I cannot run into work every single day without someone sharing some new article, some new post, some new something that says how teachers are leaving the classroom, how we, we don't know where our students are, where our students, our enrollment is, is down. The reading rates are terrible. We've got to consider and think about school safety. We are in a new era of education, and it's not the same consistently. And you may be saying to yourself the quote that comes from Jane Eyre and the words of Charlotte Bronte. What fresh hell is this? That could be what you're saying right now. Don't, don't try to fool yourselves and think you haven't thought something along those lines like, what am I getting myself into? What is this about? 
What fresh hell is this? You know what? As leaders, we set that aside. Because education, students, parents, families, communities, they need us. You are made for a time as this. This is your time. Educators, it's your time to get in the classroom. It's your time to get in the school. It's your time to get in the district. There are things out of your control. There are things in your control. Let's don't let those words be the guiding words of our belief system going forward, because if we do, it's going to be a bad year. Let's believe greatness. Let's believe possible things. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? When I heard the Mandela effect, I'm going to tell you, I, I was intrigued. I was enthralled. I'm like, it was actually my son-in-law that shared this with me because we were in a bookstore and there was this book that I, when I say the name of it, you're going to know, but there was this book that was on this end cap. And he told me, he was like, oh my goodness, that's the Mandela effect. And the Mandela effect says that we all believe in our minds that Nelson Mandela died while he was in prison in the 1980s. When in fact, he died in 2013. And so we believe something from our past that we've told ourselves that was true, but in actuality and reality, it was not true. But while we believed it, boy, did we ever believe it. Okay, so let me tell you the book that was on that end cap that my son-in-law pointed out to me. So it was a book from our beloved, beloved Bear family from when many of us were young. Hopefully some of you younger ones on the podcast listening will know these books. Remember that Bear family, the Berenstein Bears? Oh my goodness, we had the books. And I remember when they made the cartoons and I can even watch the cartoons so excited, the Berenstein Bears. We love that bear family. Now, what we remember in our minds was Berenstein, B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N, the Berenstein Bears. We said it. It's resonating with you. You're hearing it. You're believing it. You're remembering it. Did you know the Mandela effect says that we're believing something that wasn't true? Now, I hope I'm not putting a dagger through your heart right now. You're like, please don't tell me something bad about the Berenstein Bears. In fact, when I was delivering this presentation in front of the crowd of employees, there was one individual, like I could see her physically starting to get hurt, thinking I was going to say something bad about the Berenstein Bears. Okay, here's where I'm switching your belief. They are actually the Berenstein Bears. Hear the difference? We remember them as the Berenstein Bears. They're actually the Berenstain Bears. B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N. We believe something all of our lives that turned out not to be true. But I'm going to tell you, when we believed it, we believed it hard. We believed it to intensity. We believed it. That's the power of belief. 
The power of belief, if you believe it, it's real, it's true, it sticks. Now, sometimes in our beliefs, we kind of get, you know, Mandela effect where we're told the truth. We want to believe. We want to believe six possible things. All right, let me give you something else before we dive right in. And that is, okay, here's, here's something else you may have believed all along until you've been challenged on that belief. And I'll just ask you this question, and then I am going to pause in this podcast. You're going to hear a pause because I need you to think, because you will want to think, okay? So I'm going to ask the question and give a pause time. Nothing is wrong with the recording. Here we go. How many chuggas before choo-choo? How many chuggas are there before choo-choo? All right, think about it in your mind. Okay, you've probably done it several times in your mind. Chugga, 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 chugga. Right? Thinking about what that is from your memory. And it's so interesting when I've asked this question before, I've asked it in many presentations and contexts, and uh, so many people have said, yeah, there's, there's seven. No, there's nine. And I'm like, nine? How slow is your train? Mine is four. There are four chuggas before choo-choo. My train is off and going down the track. I don't know. What's up with your nine chugga-chuggas? That train's barely getting out of the station. Whatever it is, whatever the real answer is, we've all believed something. It shaped us. Belief shapes us as individuals. And it helps us move forward. Belief. We all need to have it. All right, let's dive right in to the six beliefs that I want to share with you today. We're going to use literature to help us out in this area. You have to believe as a literacy leader that fear is irrational. Fear is irrational. I'm going to use a quote from Frank Herbert from Dune. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. What a beautiful quote. Fear. Fear, honestly, is an irrational thought. We have to believe that. We've got to internalize that. Now, why do I bring this up in literacy leadership? What in the world does fear have to do with literacy leadership? Because fear stymies our progress. It halts us. Oh, I don't want to go talk to somebody about, you know, aligning our resources and curriculum to evidence-based practices. I, uh, what will they think of me? Oh, they've got too much time. They're too busy to hear me. And you start making up stories in your head. Stop. Stop letting fear grab a hold of you. Fear is irrational. 
The only time I'm going to allow you to be fearful is when you're in the woods being chased by Jason, okay? That is the only time you get to be fearful. Every other time, believe that fear is irrational as a literacy leader. Because what you are saying to yourself is that, yeah, I, I care about my students. I care about my staff. I care about these things, but I am going to allow fear to get in my way and not do what's right. Because I make up stories in my head. Because I'm scared to make that phone call. What if they don't want to talk to me? What if they're not answering? I've emailed them three times and I haven't even heard from them. Oh my goodness. What, what are they probably thinking of me? Well, I'm going to tell you what they're thinking of you. Is because they probably saw one of your emails. And they had 12, 13, 14, 15 other things going on. And it got dropped to the bottom of their inbox. That's probably what happened. but. We've gone on and made up a story. Fear is irrational. And I'm going to tell you right now, you in the moment of crisis have what's inside of you to be courageous. And we're in a moment of crisis in our country. Kids need to be readers. It was a couple of months ago in May. And my husband was out of town. Both of my boys were home. My oldest son, he's 29, and then my youngest son, he's 20. And they were both home, but they had been out that night and, you know, doing work, and I had gone on to bed. And so here I am in bed, and I remember waking up, and I thought to myself, do I smell gas? Huh, okay, well, that's weird. That, there's no way that can be smelling gas. That's crazy. Go to bed. Then here in a little bit, and I do not know how much time passed, but here in a little bit, I felt like this shaking of the house, like you, it might shake in a thunderstorm or, or a loud clapping, something like that. And I just remember saying to myself, oh, I bet that's the boys. They just got home, closed the garage. Yeah, I'm all good. Here we go. Go back to sleep. And a little bit later, I don't know how, how long it was or if I even fell asleep. I don't know. I smelled smoke. That's when I jumped up out of that bed. I jumped up. I ran into the living room, and I could see it in, behind my closed blinds in my door to the patio and in my little kitchen nook, closed blinds, I could see a red glow. I knew it. I knew it. I opened that door and my entire outdoor kitchen was engulfed in flames. The flames were getting so close to the house that they were lapping up on the house. And that boom, that shaking of the house I heard, I found out later, was that was when it busted the windows. So I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. And I just started yelling. I didn't yell fire like you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to do in the trainings, right? And I, I just started yelling, and before I can even get to my oldest son's bedroom door, he was out. The light was on. In fact, I thought in my mind, my goodness, were, she, were you awake? You got out here so fast. And I yelled at him. I said, there's a fire. Call 911. He's, he's waking up from a groggy sleep, not sure what's happening at the moment <clears throat> until he sees outside. He's trying to call 911, somehow misdials and calls a, a Spanish number. 
finally hangs up, dials 911, is on the phone with a 911 operator. During this time, I'm running around trying to think, okay, I've got a pool in the backyard, but I have no idea how to get that mass of water onto the fire. What do I do? I went in the kitchen. I found this teeny tiny bowl that I used to put my guacamole in and started filling that up. Like, what in the world is that going to do? And then I just dropped that because it dawned on me, I've got, the, I've got the water hoses outside. Go get them. Go get them. Now, I want to remind you, this fire was consuming my outdoor kitchen. I had smelled gas earlier, my gas grill. I had no idea if there was going to be an explosion. It was running through my mind. But boy, I didn't, uh, courage rose up. Courage rose. Courage didn't allow me to stand there stymied and panicked. I went around, I grabbed those hoses, and and then my son comes to me, sees what I'm doing. I've got the hose out there. I'm trying to get the flames away from the house. And that's when his courage rose. His courage, when I saw his face, he looked at me dead in the eyes. His courage told him, face this, this fire, face this fear, and protect my mom. Because he looked at me and he grabbed that hose from me. And, and I kept saying, Zach, I've got to get the fire away from the house. And he said, I know, I know. But mom get out of here. His courage didn't allow him to think twice about standing in the gap for me between that fire and my life. He grabbed that hose from me. I grabbed the phone from him, went out. Finally, finally, after a, a long time, some, some firemen showed up. We got everything controlled. I'm going to tell you what, you have it inside of you. Courage, courage comes. Courage will show up in those moments of crisis. We are in a crisis moment. Don't you dare let fear grab hold of you. Fear is irrational. It's absolutely irrational. Send the email again. Make the phone call again. You don't want to confront or address with your parents that you've got a child that's struggling because you're worried about how the parents are going to react, don't make up a story. It's a crisis. Let your courage rise up. I'm going to tell you, this that episode two months ago is completely, completely guided my thought process. It's helped me to understand that fear is irrational. We need to face it head on. We need to, we need to feed our fears. There was about four years ago, my daughter was an intern in her, when she was graduating college that summer, and she was an intern at an alligator rescue. And I, I'm going to tell you what, you may think I am crazy, but alligators and crocodiles are some of my favorite creatures, just because I think they are so just domestic, just, just their movements, their everything about them. I've always been such a fan. And we had an opportunity to go down and 
and visit with her while she was there, watch her do some of her, you know, intern things. And they allowed me to feed an alligator. Hold an alligator. Oh my goodness. This is while my husband's standing up on the, the patio watching me, but I'm like, I'm getting in. Face those fears. Feed them. Feed them. Don't you dare let fear get in the way because our kids need us to be courageous. Okay, that was the first possible thing. The next possible thing is believing in yourself. We gotta believe in ourselves, and sometimes we discount who we are as individuals. We've got that imposter syndrome that pops up all the time. Well, why would somebody listen to me? I'm not good enough. I don't have the degree. I don't have the credential. I'm just a lowly teacher. Surely none of you believe that. Believe in yourself. The piece of literature that I want to point out to you here is from William Goldman, The Princess Bride. I hope all of you are smiling when I say that. Here's the quote. My name is Enino Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I don't know if I did that quote justice, but you get the point. You know the line. And if you've ever watched the movie, which I'm sure you have, is when Enino Matoya goes up to the individual across from him and he draws his sword and the other individual, you know, is like, I'm ready to battle. And what does he do? He drops his sword and runs, turns, and hides. Enino Montoya believed in himself. Boy, he believed in himself. He could do hard things. He could absolutely do hard things. You got to believe in yourself. Jack Kerouac in, in his book On the Road. Here's this quote. This quote is you. Literacy leader of this quote is you. Get ready. The only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time. Not the ones who yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, 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 like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the sky. You're a Roman candle exploding like a spider across the sky. You burn. As literacy leaders, we carry the torch. We're the champion. We're the ones walking the halls, reminding educators what we need to do for evidence-based practices of teaching according to what the science says. We need deep phonics instruction, but not just that. We need vocabulary. We need comprehension. We need all of it. It's a both-and approach, and you got to believe in yourself because you can do hard things. You don't know how to make your literacy block work? Don't worry. Believe in yourself. Go out there and find some resources. Try it. Fail. Get back up. Believe in yourself. Okay, now this leads us to the next one. Believe in others. Not only should we believe in ourselves, but we've got to believe in others. I've spent so much time going around this country, meeting with teachers and administrators and students and parents, and the most consistent thing, most consistent thing that I have heard from hundreds of students 
I knew I was a reader when somebody else believed in me. When I didn't even believe in myself because I felt so crushed by my ability to read when it wasn't on track with everybody else around me. I didn't believe in myself, but a teacher, a parent, a custodian, whoever it was, somebody believed in me. Somebody believed in me. You got to believe in others. You got to be the one that says to a child, hey, I got it. You're a fifth grader. You're not reading where everybody else is reading. I, I hear you, but you know what? Guess what? We're going to get you the right resources, the right tools, the right interventions. And I believe in you. And I'm going to believe in you until, I'm going to hold that until you can believe in yourself. I told the Learning Ally staff that day. I said, listen, you're having a hard day. Come to me, tell me, because I'll hold that belief for you. Because when I look at you, I can see greatness. You just can't see it yourself yet. But I'll hold on to it. And I'm going to keep it safe. And I'm going to protect it. And when you're ready, you can have it. Literacy leaders that listen to this podcast, that goes for every one of you. I may not know your names. I know your hearts. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to hold on to it. And if you don't believe in yourself, just that's okay. That's okay. When you're ready, I'll give it to you. You all remember probably from the movie where this comes from and what that scene looked like. There was this black woman sitting in this rocking chair holding this little white girl, blonde-headed little girl. And the words are, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. That comes from Catherine Stockett from The Help. Hmm, I'm going to tell you what. Abilene Clark believed in that child. She believed. She saw past everything that was surrounding her in the moment, and she believed in that child, and she wanted that child to know. She wanted that child to know. I turn to great researchers, and one of those when it comes to believing in students is Dr. Yvette Jackson. And, and I love the work that she's done and and what we do uh, when we look at somebody, here's what I want us to do. I, I want us to take Dr. Yvette Jackson's work. And, and I want you to join me if you can. Now, if you're driving, don't, don't do this. But if you're in a situation where you can kind of use your hands in the moment, let's do this together. And I've embodied this practice in my daily life. And, you know, it's, I, let me tell you, I fall. Please, please, I fall. But I really work hard to embody this philosophy in my life. And especially, you know, as I travel and I move throughout airports and on airplanes and, and new locations and new hotels and new venues and new spaces and places, people that I run into, I really try to use this. And on the people you know every single day, on those colleagues and on those students and on parents, 
use this strategy. All right, here's the point of where we're going to use our hands. Dr. Yvette Jackson talks about, you know, put your hands on your head right now, okay? Hands on your head. And this strategy I'm using, the strategy of touching your, your head actually comes from Jim Quick. But the thoughts and the research behind uh, believing in kids comes from Dr. Yvette Jackson. I'm just kind of merging this together. All right, put your hands on your head, touch your head. And I just want you to imagine that brain inside of everyone. Imagine that brain. And we've got to understand that every individual is capable of learning. Every individual, every individual is capable of learning. It doesn't matter their handicap. It does not matter their reading proficiency. It does not matter. And reading proficiency should never define a person's intellect. But somehow in education, we've made that equivalency. And that's wrong. That is a wrong perception. If you put your hands on your head and think about the brain inside of every individual, you have to know and believe believe in others, that everybody has the capacity to learn. Next, if you go down and touch the corners of your eyes, thinking about what a person has seen in their life. What have they seen? What have they been exposed to? Have they seen and read this great literature? Have they seen things in your lives that you've never seen? What have they seen? Go on and touch your ears. What have they heard? Are they hearing affirmative words in their homes and in their communities? Or are they hearing other things that say, nope, nope, you're not a good reader. You're not a good student. What are they hearing? Because if they're hearing things like that, you've got to dismantle that belief. It's a harder road ahead. What about touching that corners of your mouth? What's inside of them? I mentioned at the beginning that I feel like I've got books inside of me that have yet to be written. What are the words inside of that child? What are the words inside of that person? If we were to look at every individual like this, oh my goodness, believing in others. Okay, next one. We got to believe in learning. We got to believe in learning. You're going to know this piece of literature comes from Little Women, Louisa May Alcott. I am not afraid of storms, for I am learning how to sail my ship. You know what? The storms, the storms are there to learn how to sail the ship. If the storms never came up, I would never learn. I need the storms. I need the storms. Storms aren't fun. No, they're not but I need them to learn. Dr. John Maxwell has what he calls the law of the rubber band from his book, 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth, the law of the rubber band. And the law of the rubber band says that the rubber band only works when it's been stretched. Otherwise, it has no purpose. So stretching of the rubber band and, and pulling it and, and getting that that resistance there and, and, and getting to the point of almost breaking, that's, that's where you're in your growth zone. That's your growth zone right there. You got to be stretched. Louisa May Alcott reminds us of that in this statement. I'm not afraid of storms for I'm learning to sell my ship. 
I've got a great friend that I've helped to kind of guide and and mentor over the years. And she took on a new role this year at a district level. And I'm so proud of her taking on this role. Boy, she's stretching. She's the rubber band right now. And she texted me and said, oh my goodness, I am totally out of my element here, learning the dynamics of a district position when she was in the classroom. And I texted back and I said, then you are on the verge of growth. I love it. I'm here for you. Ah, you know, sometimes people might say, you want to commiserate with that person like, oh my goodness, I hear you. Oh, I can't believe it's probably so terrible. No, no, you're on the verge of growth. You're on the verge of learning something new. That's cool. That's exciting. And in this journey towards literacy, proficiency in our country and with our students, if we are not in that growth zone, then, then what are we doing? We're just kind of going along. If we're not facing the storms, how are we learning? Let's believe in learning. All right. We've also got to believe in relationships. Oh my goodness, how much we've talked about relationships. How much. We know relationships matter in education. Oh, how they matter. The quote I'm going to use from literature, I think probably is one of the most commonly read books that's ever been out there. And it continues to be. And when I read this quote, I want you to think. I want you to think what that means for you in your own walk, in your classroom, school, or district. Why did you do all this for me? He asked. I don't deserve it. I've never done anything for you. You have been my friend, Rep Charlotte replied. That in itself is a tremendous thing. You know what it comes from. You're probably a picturing in your mind right now the illustrations from the book or, or the cartoon movie, Charlotte's Web, E.B. White. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I've never done anything for you. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm a literacy leader. I'm going to do something for you, and I'm going to do it over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter you didn't do anything for, for me. I know you feel like you don't deserve it, but guess what? I believe in you. And let me tell you what Charlotte believed in that pig. She believed in Wilbur. Hold that one close to your heart. Every time I have used this quote in a live in-person setting, I'm telling you every time, and I use it a lot, and I ask people to sit there and talk about the moment when they read that book or had it read to them or whatever it was, and they're always, I, I got to be, I got to be locked and loaded, ready with my tissues because I got to start passing them out. This is the power of relationships, and we have to believe in that. All right, let's go to the very last 
one. And the very last one is we have to believe in the power of words. We have to believe in the power of words. I love words. When I learned how words work, I understood that words can work. Let me say that again. When I understood how words work and prefixes and suffixes and base words and syllables and all of those things and the way I look at words is so different, then I understood the power of words. I mean, right? You, you think about words. We use them so much every day use them with our families. We use them in written communication. We use them in verbal communication. We use them with our kids. We use them. Words are inside of us. Words come out of us. It's the way we communicate and we navigate through this world. You have to believe in the power of words. You are all probably aware that uh, there was a movie that was released this summer three weeks ago, I guess it was, and I finally went to see it this weekend. But I read the book that came along with this movie. I'll tell you in a minute. I read the book, and there was something that just rang in my ears. And when I say I read the book, I listened to the book with an audiobook, but I still read it. And those words, and I had to go back and please say that again, and I had to write it down. And and it was like this fleeting, fleeting thought that was going along, and I just needed to grab it by the tail, and I needed to get a hold of it, and I needed to put it on paper, and I needed to read it over and over, and I needed to consume it, and I needed to create content around it. And that's what I'm doing. Here's the quote. And it's from Delia Owens, Where the Crawdads Sing. I wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full. Ugh. If you know the story of where the crawdads sing, you know that Kaya was abandoned when she was a little bitty girl out in the marsh, and she had to learn how to survive on her own. Her friend Tate taught her how to read. Now, there's a lot of controversy out there about how she learned to read. Let's don't dive into that, okay? Let's just, let's just believe she's one of the kids that it just comes natural. It, that does happen for a small percentage of kids. Let's, let's pretend that, okay? We won't debate that topic. But she knew the power of words. She didn't have words. She didn't have written words. She had verbal words. She didn't have written words in her life until someone gave them to her. And when someone gave her words, her life changed. She, she drew and she wrote and, and she put things on paper and she could communicate. Wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full. I want us to think about our kids. I want us to think about these students that struggle over decoding our words, struggle over understanding our words and words in context and, and how to structure our words so that they have meaning and carry meaning from one person to the next. If we do not equip them 
with the evidence-based practice that science is proven. It's not debatable. Evidence-based practices, structured literacy, a scope and sequence around a phonics program. I mean, I'm telling you, that's where we got to start our kids. Differentiated, differentiated according to where my kids are. We got to attach meaning to words. We got to put pictures to words. We got to use words. We got to put words in their mouths and words in their hearts and words in their mind. Because when we give kids words, we are equipping them for a future where words are important. There's this book. You're going to know this book when I mention it. And uh, Eric Carl, the great Eric Carl. And he, in his book, Slowly, 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 said this law that's a repetitive text where he repeats slowly, slowly, slowly. And I was using this book with one of my students, and I was having her read the first few pages of the book. Then we got to the page that has all of these words that mean slow and quiet. And so I read this big, long list of words, and then I asked her a question. I am lackadaisical. I dawdle and I dilly-dally. I also am unflappable, languid, stoic, impassive, sluggish, lethargic, placid, calm, mellow, laid back and, well, slothful. I am relaxed and tranquil and I like to live in peace. So I read this big, long list of words, and I looked at her, and I said, which word do you like the most? And she looked up at me with her sheepish grin, and she said, dilly-dally. And I said, why do you like dilly-dally? And she said, because I do it. <laughs> Maybe she couldn't have decoded the word dilly-dally. Maybe she could have. But I gave her that word, and she knew what that word meant, and she could connect it to her, and she, you know, had emotion connected to that word. I did this again at another presentation I was giving, and, and this individual in the audience, I've known her and her family all of my life, or should I say they've known me. Her father is 92 years old. He has had a loss of a child. His wife passed away not long ago. Hard working man, solid, steady. And she told me, she said, Oh my goodness, the word unflappable. My dad is unflappable. Said, Yep, he's unflappable. You see, sometimes we look at literacy as, okay, this methodical thing and decode the word and, and our learned words and the of uh, those types of things. And we never connect it to the significance of words and what it does to connect souls and hearts and people and what it does to live inside of us. We don't know the pain of not having words like Kaya in the marshes. She knew the pain of not having words because she was never given those words on paper. We got to believe in the power of words. If I were to give you these three words, I, little, side. You might say to yourself, okay, what, I, yeah, I can, I, that means me. Little, okay, sure, that means tiny, what, you know, whatever. Side. 
Okay, what, my, my side? I'm pointing to my side right now. Sure, they're words. Okay, yeah, no big deal. I use these words all the time. But what if I said this? I buried little Anne by the side of old Dan. Mm. Because that brings back a memory. That brings back a connection for you. It's greater than just a few words. That young man that looked me in the face that night and told me, Mom, get out of here. He's the same boy when he was about nine or ten years old that lay in the bed with me when I read Where the Red Fern Grows. It was a time in our lives when my husband was traveling a lot. And it was a time when it was just us a lot of the time. And we read that book and, you know, from Wilson Rawls, when he wrote Where the Red Fern Grows, it was just a magical book. And that quote, I buried little Anne by the side of old Dan. I knew that was where she wanted to be. I also buried a part of my life along with my dog. We all can relate to that. I, at least I think we can with having a pet that you love so much and you work so hard for and cherish. And that young boy that laid in that bed beside me and, and he had a pillow on his face and he told me years later, he said, Mom, I don't think you ever knew it, but I was crying. I said, Zach, I'm your mama. I knew you were crying. I knew it. I'm your mama. Guys, I can't tell you. Words matter. You got to believe in the power of words. You got to believe that we've got to give our kids words. Got to give it to them. Don't, don't hoard the words because we don't feel like that they're, that they're too big for them to decode. Don't hoard the words. Give them words. Give them words through, through audiobooks. Give them words through reading aloud. Give them words that they can decode on their own because you're, you're working on that skill. Give them words. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's, let's remember the things I want you to believe in. I need you to believe that fear is irrational. I need you to believe in yourself, believe in others. Believe in learning, believe in relationships, and believe in the power of words. I believe in you. I do. You know what? Team, you go out there and you make this an amazing school year. We're going to win the battle. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are going to make an impact on education, create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you want to learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.